Good morning. I'm Dan Crocker, sitting in for Angela Davis. You're listening to NPR News. Glad you could join us today. So I moved to Duluth almost 12 years ago, and for most of that time, I've lived about three blocks from Lake Superior. And I have to say, when I first decided to move here from the desert southwest, I didn't think much about Lake Superior. I was more excited about being close to the North Woods and canoe country. But now I couldn't imagine not having the lake a part of my life. It just seeps into your soul. It's such a huge, omnipresent force. It commands the weather. Its vastness inspires awe and reverence and fear. And I've also learned over that time that a lot of people have a story about Lake Superior, something that defines their relationship with the Great Lake, a personal connection. I'd love to hear some of your stories this hour. We'll also hear from Bob Sterner, a biology professor and director of the Large Lakes Observatory at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and Haley Kirkwood, a writer, teaching artist, and a bookseller who lives in the Twin Cities but grew up in Superior, Wisconsin. But first, I met up with a group of folks last night after work who have a very unique and intimate relationship to the lake. I wanted to hear their stories. They call themselves the Duluth Coldwater Dolphins, and they immerse themselves in Lake Superior's frigid waters during all months of the year, often for several minutes at a time. So my name is Maggie Nancaro, and I am recent here in Duluth. I moved here in November to take a job as the priest at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. She moved to Duluth in part because she wanted to live closer to Lake Superior. Because wanting to feel the rhythms of this place and to experience a body of water that is so much bigger than human perception and understanding, we've lost so much of that in the modern world and get so stuck in just productivity and getting everything done and not thinking and not even really even connecting with each other. It does have a big grounding impact on you, doesn't it? It does, yeah. One of my favorite phrases, I think I heard it first in Bayfield, Wisconsin, is the lake is the boss. And that's very true. As someone who is Christian and sort of devoted to something bigger than myself, right, being reminded that I am small and the world is large and there are still parts of this great and incredible world that does not care about human things. <laughs> and that's a really important piece for, for me. I also met Jocelyn Palaga. She's 56. She's lived in Duluth for more than 20 years. But she only recently began swimming in the lake again to try to relieve some pain she'd been experiencing. And, well, she's hooked. Well, I have to say that the dopamine hit cannot be denied. I'm a fairly merry person in my wiring, but when I do a dip, I feel at least 35% more euphoric for the rest of that day, sometimes even the next day. It's been some years since I really put my body in this water, because I used to just go in when my kids would go in. Now I'm an empty nester. And so the sort of returning my body to actually walk into the water, but in a whole different way, um, there's something really powerful about it for me. And I think it's one thing, of, this is true of anything in life, it's one thing to observe something with wonder, it's an entirely different thing to put yourself inside that thing. My name is Sarah Nami. Um, I'm 40 years old, and I've lived and grown up here in Duluth. But until about a year and a half ago, she had never gone into the lake. She nearly drowned in a smaller lake as a teenager. For years, she was scared of Lake Superior. 
She says her first time swimming with the cold water dolphins helped her confront that trauma. And it was like, wow, the rest of the day I was like on cloud nine. And so I'm like, there's something really special about, yeah, this water and the memory and, you know, ourselves as, you know, spiritual beings, we are at the water as well. So, Wow. So Lake Superior has had a huge healing impact on your life, it sounds like. Yes, very much so. So we come here at least once a month and we pray with the water and um, offer um, some tobacco and some songs and stuff. So, yeah, it feels really good. It felt pretty good when I jumped in a few minutes later. The water was a balmy 39 degrees. And trust me, I did not stay in as long as the cold water dolphins. And now I'm back in the studio, warm and dry, with a couple guests to talk more about Lake Superior. And I want to hear from you, too. Do you have a special relationship with Lake Superior? What does the lake mean to you? Why is it special? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guests. Here in Duluth, Bob Sterner is a biology professor and director of the Large Lakes Observatory at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Bob and his colleagues study Lake Superior and other big lakes around the world. He's also president of the Northeastern Association of Marine and Great Lakes Laboratories. Bob, glad you could join us today. Good morning. Glad to be here. Also joining me from our studio in St. Paul, I have Haley Kirkwood. Haley is a writer, teaching artist, and a bookseller at Birchbark Books and Native Arts in Minneapolis. They grew up in Superior, Wisconsin, and are a direct descendant of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior, Chippewa. And Haley just got a Jerome Hill Artist Fellowship for a writing project involving Lake Superior. Haley, I'm excited to hear more about that. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Glad you could join us. Uh, Also, later in the hour, we'll be talking with Christian Dahlbeck. He's a photographer in Two Harbors about his images of waves on Lake Superior and how photographing the lake helped him overcome an alcohol addiction. But, Bob, I'd like to start with you. Uh, I mentioned a few very basic facts about Lake Superior. It's the largest freshwater lake in the world by surface area. But what else stands out about, about Lake Superior? What surprises people about it? Oh, that's a great question, Dan. And I, what I'd like to say about that is sometimes I think about just how remarkable it is that this amazing pool of fresh, more or less pure, clean water uh, that you spoke so eloquently about at the opening, how it's sitting in the middle of North America. So basically, you know, far away from the oceans, yet we see ocean-going ships coming in and out of Duluth, and bordered by two very populous and wealthy countries. And yet it's in relatively, quote-unquote, natural state. It's an amazing Mm -hmm. treasure right here in our backyards. And I'm often amazed, Bob, um, when when you look at the statistics and just— just how much how much fresh water Lake Superior holds and and the other lake great other great lakes I think people I mean the context is just amazing could you could you talk about that a bit Yeah sure I I always say this when I'm giving public talks but um, if we look at the distribution of uh, liquid 
surface fresh water. So there's a lot of ice on Earth. We're not looking at that. There's a lot of water underground. We're not looking at that. We're looking at surface liquid fresh water. Um, five lakes on the planet, five, have more than half of that precious resource. And hmm. we, sometimes people talk about water being the most precious substance on Earth. Um, I've had a found of oxygen, too, myself, but I know water is important. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, to think about that being located in such a few number of places, really scattered all over the planet, it, it, it blows my mind. Absolutely. Uh, Haley, you grew up in Superior, Wisconsin, right on Lake Superior, on the other side of the, the mouth of the St. Louis River here across the bridge from Duluth. What was it like to grow up on the lake? Yeah, so I think growing up on the lake, one thing that um, kind of defines your relationship to it is definitely the weather um, and the different moods of the lake. Mm -hmm. So that is something that... Um, when I think back to my childhood, um, memorable experiences have been the November gales, which I think are pretty infamous in the Lake Superior, mm -hmm. um, kind of like the, the mythology of it in a way with Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, so, so growing up in Lake Superior, um, I think I've always had a fascination with um, the weather as well as with geology um, and with the different, um, many different ecologies that do exist in the Lake Superior watershed. Um, so, so, yeah. Something I love, Haley, about living by the lake is how, you know, it, it, it changes every single day. It can, be, it can be blustery and freezing. It can be warm and placid. You mentioned the, the moods. I totally agree. Is there, is, there a, is there a favorite mood that you have or a couple favorite moods? Yeah. So I, I do think the November gales are pretty remarkable. Um, when you look at photos on the North Shore of these big waves crashing up, I mean, I think what we're talking about, people not realizing that this giant freshwater inland sea is here um, in, in the upper Midwest, that's that's one thing I like to show them um, if they are unfamiliar, are these pictures of these giant amber waves um, crashing onto these cliffs in the North Shore and creating these just grand, grand escarpments. Um, yeah. Bob, um, you direct the Large Lakes Observatory here in Duluth. Um, I've had the privilege of joining several of your scientists uh, for different stories, but tell our listeners a little bit about, about the research that, that, that it does and, and what exactly is the Large Lakes Observatory. Oh, always happy to do that, Dan. Yeah, so we have a mission at LLO unlike any other institution I know anywhere on Earth. So our mission is to do scientific studies of the large lakes of Earth. And so there are many other, you know, lake institutes, and, you know, some of them are really great. Um, our stated mission, though, differs from anywhere else I know because we specifically have this global reach. Um, so in that sense, a very expansive mission. On the other hand, it's large lakes, and that makes sense. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is, um, as Haley just uh, described, the vast scale of these water bodies. Uh, doing science on large lakes is a lot like doing oceanography. You're working on large vessels, you're working in large teams, you have big instruments, you can only occupy a small fraction of the whole water body with a ship or an instrument at any one time. So we act day-to-day -day a lot like oceanographers do. Um, on the other hand, 
they aren't oceans. They're freshwater lakes. The organisms are freshwater organisms that are found in big and small lakes. Um, and so we at LLO, we have to sort of have two, one foot in the lake science camp and one in the ocean science camp. And that's really it's challenging, but it's also really, really interesting. So we've done work all over the world, a lot of work in the past um, in Africa. We've had uh, recent projects in Central and South America, uh, work in Asia. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on at LLO from all perspectives, uh, geology, chemistry, physics, and biology. We're talking about Lake Superior here today on the show with our guest, Bob Sterner, a biology professor and director of the Large Lakes Observatory at UMD here in Duluth. Also, Haley Kirkwood is with us, a writer, teaching artist, a bookseller who grew up on the shores of Lake Superior. We'd also love to hear from you. Give us a call, 651-227-6000. Tell us what the lake means to you, why it's special to you, 800-242-2828. As I thought we might, we're getting quite a few calls already. I'd like to go to the phones now. Uh, first, Jim in Eden Prairie. Jim, thanks so much for calling in. What did you want to share? As a young man, uh, I used to love sailing, and particularly up on the Apostle Islands on Lake Superior. And, you know, the scale of it, uh, the way you'd get away from everything. At that time, there was no cell phone connectivity up there when we started, and the aurora and everything was fantastic. And, of course, the weather made for some really challenging times. But then what really resonated was we started taking, a group of guys started taking our nine-year-old daughters up with us. And we were amazed that the girls just fell in love with that whole sailing experience. And it become a, became a much bigger cultural thing to our family because when you got away from mom for a long weekend, dads and daughters would start sharing things that you just normally wouldn't share or not as easily because you wouldn't have had the opportunity. And it became a thing that even at the girls, as they got older and they, some of them married, they would give their kids to their husband and say, I'm going up north with dad for the weekend. So they always protected that weekend. And it was just a tremendous experience. And I don't think it would have worked. We could have maybe gone out to Lake Minnetonka or something, but it wouldn't have been the same Mm -hmm. because it was more like camping and getting away. And we had some harrowing weather events and beautiful auroras that (laughs) are memorable. That's awesome. Jim, thanks so much for calling and sharing that experience. I mean, I heard that from the the cold water dolphins at the top of the show, too, the folks who jump into Lake Superior. I mean, the lake just has this kind of this centering effect, and it just kind of has this way of stripping away everything else and focusing in on what's really important. Um, Also, uh, Eric from Duluth uh, has called in. Eric, thanks thanks so much for calling in. What do you want to share? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, You know, I moved up here last year. And the lake has been a big part of my life. Um, it's one of the reasons I moved up here. And I have a storytelling podcast um, that uses the lake um, and all the great mysteries that it has. Um, and the weather, uh, the fog that comes off the lake, it's a great backdrop for some really good ghost stories. And, you know, it involves um, some of the history of some of the ships that have sank and, just, um, you know, Lake Inferior. A lot of people don't know there's a lake beneath the lake. And so it's a great opportunity just to share some really fun stories and let the history of the lake tell itself. 
Eric, thanks for calling. And, and real quick, plug your podcast. What's it called? It's called Hayden's Gate. Eric, thanks for calling. Bob Sterner, he mentioned a lake underneath the lake. Is that true? Hi. Is he still on? I'd like to know a little bit more about what he's thinking there, because I was wondering. Uh, Eric, you still there? We may, have, we may have lost him. Yeah. I mean, okay, so... I think we lost him. We lost him. I mean, I don't know exactly what he meant there, but um, uh, twice in the winter and then again in the summer... There is effectively two lakes, one floating on the other. And so um, the summertime, the top layer is warmer than the bottom layer. And so most of the water in Lake Superior has the same temperature year-round that you just experienced last night when you jumped in, <laughs> 39 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the right. temperature at which water is densest. And so um, in the summer, as the solar energy adds heat to the lake, um, it warms, and at some point it warms enough that uh, an upper layer floating on top of a lower layer occurs. And at that point, the lower water, most of the lake water, uh, is effectively cut off from the atmosphere. And so different things can happen in that lower layer than happen in the upper layer. And the reverse happens in the winter, except in the winter, the upper layer is actually colder than the bottom layer. So in that sense, there's a lake beneath a lake. We're talking Lake Superior today. 651-227-6000 is the number to call to join the conversation. 800-242-2828. And Haley Kirkwood, I wanted to get back to you too. We heard from that caller who has a podcast and talked about you know, just how the lake can inspire, and it has inspired so much art and music and writing. And you are uh, working on a grant, I understand, um, writing about Lake Superior and a, a Jerome Hill Artist Fellowship that you've received to explore your your relationship with the lake. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on? Yeah, I would love to. Um, but may I first jump back to the Lake Inferior? Because I think I have some information yes. about that. Um, so, so Lake Inferior was um, kind of... And you'll have to like um, do do your own research. I don't have the exact names for for this, but Lake Inferior was actually an imagined lake by a French fur trade voyager um, who mm. believed that it was the gates to hell. So <laughs> he so it's got this weird like um yeah it was it was an imagined kind of hallucination of a French voyager. Um, but then I know that just a couple of years ago, um, a, a local Duluth newspaper, a community newspaper, I can't imagine, I can't remember what the exact name was, but they ran like an April Fool's story about it um, and, and had all these details. Um, so, that, so that's what Lake Inferior is. Um, and, and going back to writing, I actually have written a poem about Lake Inferior, about these ideas of things that live mm. inside us that um, we're not quite sure about. Um, And that poem was published in a literary journal called the Thunderbird Review, um, which is based out of the Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College, um, which focuses Mm -hmm. on Lake Superior writers. So definitely, if if you're a creative writer, check out the Thunderbird Review. It's a free community literary journal. Um, They're doing really good work. But to go back to my my Jerome Hill Fellowship project. um, So I've got... This is a long, 
this is the long game, but I have a creative nonfiction project that I'm in the very, very early stages of where I want to um, trace the Ojibwe migration path. So um, Ojibwe people, we came from the northeastern seaboard and we migrated all around um, the Great Lakes to end up um, all the way to the western end of Lake Superior. It's a really long, beautiful story. Um, checking out the mm-hmm. work of Anton Troyer or Brenda Child or the Michelmas book, um, you will get more information about it. But um, so my plan is to do a road trip around the Great Lakes, interviewing different, um, you know, like Ojibwe and other indigenous people, elders, youth, to see their experience of the Great Lakes, how the migration um, has lived on, and the ways that travel around Lake Superior is actually, I think, for me, core to Ojibwe identity. Yeah, yeah. So I know you're a direct descendant of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, and of course you're not a spokesperson for the band or... Um, but I mean, what have you what have you what have you learned in this in your process about kind of the you know Ojibwe peoples or the band's relationship with Lake Superior? Yeah, so I think one thing that um, is is pretty important to bring up is our relationship to to Madeline Island, um, and mm. that as being you know our prophesied place of um, of landing when we were migrating, we were migrating toward the place where food grows on the water, which of course is wild rice manumen. Um, so for me, it's important to really bring up the fact that Madeline Island was this just um, historically very significant place for Ojibwe people. Um, another thing that's interesting that you might notice um, when, you know, you're maybe you're doing some research or you're thinking about um, Ojibwe tribes, is that you'll see some tribes that include the phrase Lake Superior Chippewa or Lake Superior Ojibwe um, to indicate our historical and cultural affiliations and sense of identity. But it's not all Ojibwe tribes. So, you know, you have like Leech Lake, you have Red Lake, um, White Earth that migrated further or were displaced um, away from Lake Superior. So even across, you know, like state borders, you'll see this shared cultural affiliation um, all the way into Michigan. That's Haley Kirkwood, who's a writer and teaching artist who grew up on Lake Superior, also with us today. Uh, Bob Sterner, who directs the Large Lakes Observatory at the University of Minnesota Duluth. We've got lots of folks calling in to share their stories about Lake Superior. Let's go back to the phones. Mary in Mendota Heights. Mary, thanks for holding on. What did you want to share with us? Well, my my issue with Saint or Lake Superior is that it's not only beautiful, but it's incredibly powerful. Um, mm. My grandfather actually died. He drowned on Lake Superior um, oh, wow. because he was a fisherman and he went out to get the nets, you know, during a, a storm and he drowned. My folks were both commercial fishermen for a period of time. They lived in Duluth and also on the South Shore and we had a family cabin on the South Shore, and we would go smelting, you know, and things like that. So Lake Superior is just this huge thing in my mind that's just both beautiful but incredibly powerful. Mary, thank you so much for calling and, and, and sharing, sharing that, that story. And it's, it's, it's what Haley spoke to earlier, you know, the, the, I think the many, the many moods of Lake Superior. It could be beautiful and and cruel too. And Bob Sterner, could you talk a little bit about? Is it just the size of the lake? We, the, you know, the gales of November are infamous, of course. What are the factors at play that can make that can make the lake so dangerous? Yeah, sure. Uh, also, before I do that, um, 
I want to amend a previous statement I made because it was uh, what I said was there were two wealthy, powerful nations. And of course, that's uh, not a very culturally aware thing for me to say. So it's two wealthy, powerful nations and um, quite a number of First Nations and tribes also um, bordering on the lake. So I want to be sure I said that. Um, Thanks, Bob. So what makes it powerful um, well, and dangerous? Well, I think you um, the, the, the fact that it's so large is, gives the wind a great deal of surface area to push water. And so its vast scale in terms of area is, a, is the main reason why we see such huge waves um, on Lake Superior. Um, something that I only recently became aware of is uh, from the surfing community, and drowning, very tragic thing to think about. But um, what I heard from them was um, if you go under and you inhale fresh water, your time before you're in really serious trouble is very short, uh, much shorter than it would be in uh, salt water. So um, that's a factor. And then, of course, temperature, um, hypothermia sets in mm. and the lake is cold so much of the year. Um, so you have a number of factors there that, that contribute to being such a, um, such a dangerous place. And, um, the science piece of that is that we're uh, always building more and more eyes and ears to help us monitor what the lake's doing. LOO has maintained two near shore buoys for many years and people can go to buoys d.umn.edu and um, see what the local conditions are, the wave heights and such. Our buoys will go out next week, I'm told, um, for the year. And uh, more and more of those kinds of sensing systems are going in the lake all the time to give people some warning about what conditions they might be, um, you know, they might be experiencing if they're out on the water. That's Bob Sterner, who directs the Large Lakes Observatory at UMD in Duluth. Also with us today, Haley Kirkwood, a writer who grew up on Lake Superior. We do have lots of folks waiting. I'm going to ask you to be patient for a couple minutes longer because I do want to bring another voice briefly into the conversation. Christian Dahlbeck is a photographer who has spent the last decade photographing Lake Superior in all seasons and all weather. Most people see the lake from the shore, but Christian captures his glass-like images of waves curling on the surface of the water by getting into the lake. He joins us from two harbors on the North Shore. Christian, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So I understand that sunrise is your favorite time to take photographs of Lake Superior. So could you tell us what's so special about that moment for you? I think it's the beginning of the day is so special to me. Just after all those years of me sleeping in, um, (laughs) getting there and catching the, the first rays of sunlight that are breaking the horizon and the way that I'm taking the, or doing the photography, being immersed in the lake and I'm trying to be at eye level to capture it all. And all the reflections that dance on the surface of the water when you get a nice colorful sunrise. And it's just something that, it's hard to even explain. It's so special. Yeah. Christian, could you tell us how you got started taking photographs? I know it was a little over, or I've heard it was a little over 10 years ago. Could you tell us what was going on in your life at the time? Yeah, 
spend a lot of my life with an alcohol problem and in and out of trouble and um, working in the factory up here in Two Harbors and different other jobs after that. And just finally um, in 2012, after all that, I, I went through a treatment here and and then I had a camera sitting there and uh, I, had, I got to go out and walk around. I had an ankle bracelet because of some trouble and actually got out to go walk around the point to walk my dog. And I, I grabbed that camera and I started seeing all the nature and the beauty and the lake. And, you know, at first I was like, what is my subject going to be if I'm going to do photography? And there it was right out my back door. It was Lake Superior. And um, I guess it, it kind of was right there in front of me all along, you know, even growing up, it was right there. I played along it and fished in it and, it's just, um, it became first nature, I guess. And I, I was missing it all those years, but there it was. So did, did photographing the lake, I mean, it's, I mean, it sounds like it had a real healing impact for you. Could you talk, did, did it, did, could you talk about how it maybe helped you out of your addiction how it maybe gave you a, a more, a different take on things? Yeah. Um, it really gave me a lot more, you know, like something to do and, you know, before I was kind of just didn't have much on my mind, I guess. And, uh, this gave me a reason and, and, uh, I wanted to get out and get more and get better. And it just was like, um, I don't know. It was just like, this is going to heal me. And, and, and then the reactions of people that I got on social media and stuff, um, the comments mm -hmm. and stuff. And that really was, a a big help because it kept me motivated and pretty soon all those other thoughts of, you know, I want to go sit at a bar or something or, you know, that totally went away. And my, I guess my addiction now and then when it was starting became Lake Superior and I want to see more of it. Hmm. Christian, I, we have a lot of callers I want to get to, but I want to ask you one more question. Um, yeah, we, we've been talking on the show. We've been talking on the show about the many the, the many moods of Lake Superior. I know you have been out in many of those moods, and I, I wanted to see wanted to ask if you could tell us about what it's like to photograph the lake in a in a in a in a fall or a winter storm. Because I understand you yeah. may have had a, a pretty close call this past winter. Oh yeah, it was a while ago, but. Um... I'm, I was out in some 10 foot waves with the surfers. It was more in the beginning of when I got in the water and um, I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I hadn't learned all the respect that I needed for it. And uh, I got held down on a couple waves, you know, quite a long time where the first wave held me down long enough to where I didn't know if I was going to get air again. And then my head pops up and I got a breath of air and here comes the second wave. They come in three, four or five, even sometimes of the big sets and, held me down and uh, I lost a fin and, you know, and that's part half my pr propulsion. And I, I barely made it to shore. It felt like, and man, when I got to shore and walked back to the vehicle, I remember a friend of mine taking a picture of me and I'm walking with one fin and I, I can still see that. And I'm like, I thought I'd never get back in the lake again, but I'm like, well, the surfers get in there all the time. And <laughs> they figured it out after being wiped out and it's like i just got to figure it out so i learned how to duck dive and actually i wear 20 pounds of weight so i can go under the waves and i don't get taken out by the mm. wave you know and i had i just had to learn how to be a waterman. 
Well, Christian, we're glad you uh, got back in the water. Um, really enjoy your photography and um, just want to thank you for, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Christian Dahlbeck is a photographer in Two Harbors who is known for his images of and in Lake Superior of surfers, sunrises, shipwrecks, and countless waves. Haley Kirkwood, I wanted to, to go to you. What did, what did you hear in, in Christian's experiences of the lake? Yeah, um, Christian, I, I have to say, I, I looked at your photographs before the show today, and they're they're absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and what your story brings to my mind is the, the resilience and strength that I think people who grew up around Lake Superior and the Great Lakes in general, um, we have to... Um, we have to be tough a lot of the time um, because of the, um, you know, the weather and kind of, you know, also the effects of industry. You'll see a lot of connections um, between industry and interpersonal addiction and violence. Um, so that's one thing that it brought to mind. Um, and what you were saying about the lake being instrumental to your healing, um, that, that made me think of another thing, too. So I live with um, PTSD. And when I was a youth, um, being in Lake Superior, being in the cold water was absolutely crucial to my healing. Um, there's this sense of sweetness that I think you get when you're in the water of Lake Superior. Um, but there's also this just shocking cold that makes you be in your body in a way that I don't think really anything else has. Um, and one thing that's interesting when it turned, <clears throat> when it comes to um, living with PTSD is actually one of the coping mechanisms they'll give you um, in therapy would be to shock yourself with cold water. Um, because when you're, when your body is confronted with a cold water, uh, it kind of tells your nervous system to focus on that rather. So, so the panic of being cold rather than the panic of um, having a flashback or a reaction. So um, the healing aspect of Lake Superior, I think, is really, um, really expansive in its scope. Yeah, we've heard we've heard that recurring theme, Haley, throughout the show today, for sure. I wanted to get back to some callers uh, who have been very patient. Uh, let's go to Craig in Moose Lake, who's been hanging on for a while. Craig, thanks so much for calling in. What do you want to share? Good morning. Uh, like Christian, I am a landscape photographer. I've specialized in photographing Lake Superior for about 40 years. And as part of that, I've kayaked around the lake. I circumnavigated in 1991, which was a 1,200-mile, 100-day trip, and since then have put on thousands more miles. And I wanted to talk about the diversity of Lake Superior. The um, geography uh, varies. The geology of the Pictured Rocks National Lake Shore, with the mineral seeps going down the 200-foot-high cliffs, the sea caves in the Apostle Islands, um, Isle Royal with its uh, dotted fingers of, of uh, islands off the northeast tip, and the Canadian shore is just beautiful uh, granite batholiths. Uh, it's like you drop the Black Hills into the ocean. Um, we tend to think of uh, Lake Superior uh, as when I was circumnavigating, I was talking to people, and, and they didn't realize that the rest of the lake didn't look like what they knew about the lake. No matter where they were on the lake, they thought everything else probably looked the same. And I think that that is one of the scary things about when we think about the development that's happening on Lake Superior. We think, well, it's this vast lake and we can afford to develop this because it's, it's just a small part of the whole. But yet each area is unique. And so when we develop a portion of it, we've lost something that's quite significant. 
um, I'd also like to talk about the, yeah. the healing aspects. I I do um, briefly if you could videos as, as meditation aids, and a number of those have been done on Lake Superior. I'm a senior fellow at the Center for Spirituality and Healing at the Main U, and uh, I'm now working on a, a video of just reflections on the waves, which is very meditative, just sitting almost like watching a campfire or laying in your back and looking at the clouds. So the rhythms yeah, of the lake yeah. are, are very calming. Craig, thank you so much for calling in. Um, I'm going to let you go because we have other callers I want to get to. But Bob Sterner with Large Lakes Observatory, I wanted you to reflect on something Craig mentioned about development around the lake. And that's something we haven't had a chance to talk much about yet. But the lake is pristine, but humans are having an impact on it, correct? Oh, for sure. I mean, humans are having an impact everywhere on the planet. Um, Lake Superior is not immune to that. Um, You know, it's sort of a on this side of the coin, one story, the other side of the coin, another story. It is uh, in relatively good shape, um, biologically, chemically, et cetera, but things are happening. There's concerns about mercury in different places. PFAS is a uh, rising concern um, and kind of lying on top of everything is climate change. So very, very long story short, um, Lake Superior is one of the fastest warming lakes on Earth in the sense Mm -hmm. of average summer surface temperature. Um, There's a really interesting bunch of physics behind that, but we don't have time today. Um, (laughs) What that means is that the lake is um, scientifically valuable because it could give us a chance to study the effect of climate change without a whole bunch of other anthropogenic forcing factors like invasive species and pollution and stuff. Um, uh, but it also means it's, you know, it's a wake up call for us here. It's, it's our kind of local climate change issue that we need to pay careful attention to. And Bob, something your colleague Jay Austin has impressed upon me over the years is that really what seem like pretty minuscule changes in air temperature can have really profound impacts on water temperature, ice cover, and the lake, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Jay's got some really interesting analyses behind that statement. Um, and small differences um, in air temperature, especially in the winter, can have really drastic effects on what the lake's doing. Again, it's it has to do with stratification, but there's, in some sense, kind of an amplification of the climate signal that goes on in Lake Superior because it's large, because it's so seasonally variable, uh, because the summer is short. Um, all of those factors conspire to make Lake Superior, um, in, I would say, incredibly sensitive to the changing climate, not to, not to mention the storms. So we're seeing more and more large storms. They wash sediments into the lake. The sediments stay in the water suspended for weeks. Um, we're still trying to untangle what those sediments are doing when they're in the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the lake is certainly nowhere near immune from uh, effects of man. It's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? The lake is so vast and powerful, but yet so sensitive at the same time. Let's yeah. go. Let's go back to the to the to the, to the calls. Uh, Leah from Mankato, you've also been hanging on for a long time. Thanks so much. What do you want to share? So my concern is with the droughts in the Southwest, we're starting to hear talk about, and I don't think it's possible because I just don't think we can like engineer it, 
moving water from Lake Superior and the Great Lakes to the southwest. Mm. They dump on golf courses in the desert. To me, this makes no sense. I am pretty sure Kristen Dahlbeck, who out his door is Lake Superior, probably turns the water off when he's brushing the teeth. Even though it's so <laughs> plentiful to us here, I think we actually have a respect for that water. And that there'd be any thought of moving water from up here down to the desert. Like, like there's some hard discussions to be had. Should we be living in the desert? Um, but this is just a concern. I think maybe it's another show. That just isn't going uh, to be feasible and shouldn't happen. I, Leah, I think you are absolutely right. I know whenever we write about this on our website or do radio stories on it, people people have strong opinions, shall we say, about about the prospect of potentially taking water from the Great Lakes. Um, but um, thanks so much for the call and concerns because I know it reflects what many folks think. Jackie from St. Paul. Jackie, thanks for calling. What do you want to share? Well, yeah, I was just sitting here thinking Lake Superior. Oh, my goodness. In my youth, I'm a, a senior citizen now. My friend Dave and I bike most of the way around Lake Superior, you know, and we camped all the way. And we started in Duluth. It was just such a wonderful experience to, you know, experience the lake that way. And we stayed at some campgrounds. And I remember we had we rode where they were doing some construction. And we came into a KO. KOA campground, and I was never so happy to take a shower because we just got all black-faced from, you know, riding on this construction. But that is really a wonderful way to experience, you know, Lake Superior. And then another way we haven't quite mentioned is all the people that are exposed to the lake who do Grandma's Marathon. There is nothing more Mm. wonderful than running down the road and looking out at that beautiful lake. So I think those are two activities that have really been important to me to help me experience Lake Superior. Jackie, that's awesome. Thanks so much for uh, for, sh- for sharing your experiences. There's something about going around this lake because we've heard about people kayaking around it. You bicycled around it. There, 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 there's something about people wanting to circumvent this great body of water that fascinates me. Peter, in Schooner, Wisconsin, also you've been hanging on for a long time. And did I pronounce that correct? Peter, is it Schooner? Yeah, we're actually north of there, closer to a small town called Minong. But um, anyway, I originally grew up sure. at Brainerd and used to approaching the lake from the southwest. And <clears throat> since we moved to up uh, up here, um, man, the, the trip from the south is amazing. You, around Schooner, it's all pine trees, and it quickly shifts to um, balsam, um, and it's dramatic. And then you get a much bigger view of the North Shore coming from the south, and as soon as you get over the crest, about 10 miles southeast of, of uh, Superior on a hot day, um, oh my gosh, the temperature will drop. Like you can't get a hold of you, you can't get the, the windows defrost, defogged fast enough. It's just astonishing the, the microclimates. I grew up in northwest uh, Minnesota and we were used to going to Lake Winnipeg. Uh, it's a swamp <laughs> compared to Superior, um, it's a, a green lake. Uh, Superior is just uh, just amazing, and it affects the land around it. Absolutely. Peter, thanks so much for calling in. Bob Sterner, briefly, I don't think we've talked about the cooler-by-the-lake phenomenon. Um, uh, is, there, is there anything to say about it, or is it pretty simple? When the, when the, when the water is really cold, the air is going to be cold. <laughs> uh, you got it there, Dan. Um, you know, it's such a huge body of water. It's 
temperature is going to lag behind the air and um it's free air conditioning for us who live near the lake in the summertime. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, I'm going to get one more caller in the conversation, if I can. Jack in Minneapolis. Jack, thanks for, for, for calling. What do you want to share? Yeah, of course. Uh, bonjour, Anine. Hi, Haley. I just wanted to ask Haley really quick. Um, and it's kind of a big question, so don't feel bad if you can't you know, wrap your head around it right away in the last few minutes. But... Um, how do you feel about um, all of these, you know, there are a lot of wealthy white Minnesotans in the Twin Cities and probably people all over the country who have second or even third homes, uh, maybe sometimes luxury cabins, you know, on or around Lake Superior. How do you feel about that when they're Anishinaabeg in the Twin Cities area and all around the country even who don't even have homes or at least don't have access to Lake Superior, um, even though, you know, many of our ancestors used to have of course, free access to that lake. So how does that make you feel? Boujou, Jack. Uh, Jack is one of my colleagues at Birch Bark Books, so thanks for calling in. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good, um, really good topic to cover, the, the lack of access. I think that um, th- there are like two things, the lack of access of outdoor recreation um, that I think affects BIPOC people pretty pretty intensely, in which there are a few organizations mm-hmm. out there that are trying to um, ameliorate that and, and, and make access um, available to BIPOC communities. Um, and then in terms of like um, Anishinaabe, you know, um, in, having in, like experiencing homelessness around Lake Superior in particular, mm-hmm. like there's a um, a, a pretty big epidemic around Lake Superior, as well as um, Ojibwe and Dakota people outside of the Lake Superior watershed. Um, so, so for me, that's always been a struggle, um, having grown up pretty low income myself, um, to to see these developments. But for me, um, I think that there's um, there's a different class and um, racial identity to Lake Superior when um, specifically in Superior, Wisconsin, which is always, I like to consider it like Duluth um, underdog, like scrappy little cousin or something, um, and that it is it is a less wealthy area. So for me, access around Lake Superior has always kind of been these like uh, maybe less touristy areas like uh, Connors Point or Rice Point, fishing with my brother under the bridge. These little pockets that um, I don't think are as known. Um, so, so that for me, I don't know if that quite answers your question, Jack, but that has been my experience um, and, and the places that I have loved and the places that I know are more accessible um, to, to BIPOC and Anishinaabe people who um, are kind of pushed out of areas like around the North Shore. Um, I never actually went to the North Shore until I was an adult camping with my brother. So, um, yeah, I experienced that lack of access firsthand. Haley Kirkwood is a writer, a teaching artist, and a bookseller at Birchbark Books and Native Arts in Minneapolis. They grew up in Superior, Wisconsin, and are a direct descendant of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Also on the show with us today, Bob Sterner, a biology professor and director of the Large Lakes Observatory at the University of Minnesota Duluth. I also spoke with Christian Dahlbeck. He's a photographer in Two Harbors, known for his images of waves and other scenery of Lake Superior. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom and Danelle Cloutier. I'm Dan Crocker in for Angela Davis today. Thanks for joining us and be safe, everyone.
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.